Hi, it's Meadow, just popping in. I hope you're doing well. Uh, If perhaps you're listening to this because you're not, I hope this week's thought makes you feel seen or supported. And if this doesn't feel like the right episode for you today, that's totally fine too. Hopefully I'll see you next Monday. If you do listen, first of all, thank you. Second of all, I just wanted to pop in here quickly to reiterate that what you learned from listening today, you should not hold against yourself for not knowing in the past. Uh, I like to say suicide is every suicide prevention is everyone's business, um, but no one can control their past actions. All you can do is learn new information and use it moving forward. Uh, two other quick housekeeping notes quickly about things I say in this episode. One, when we discuss calling the police in given scenarios, I mention asking for a PERT team, which stands for Psychiatric Emergency Response Team. Not every place in the country in the world has a PERT team, and I know different cities may have different terms as well. So other phrasings could be things like asking for mental health response teams or mental health crisis intervention teams. So I just wanted to throw that out there. I also, of course, get all my acronyms mixed up because I can't piece together words in my head. So at one point I say 501c3, which is a nonprofit, (laughs) and I mean 5150. I don't know if this means anything to anyone anyway, but just to clarify, a 501c3 is a nonprofit. When I say, I, what I meant to say is a 5150 which refers to a 72-hour hold that hospitals may put on people for being a danger to themselves or others. So just in case any that's relevant to anyone. Um, other than that, I am really excited about today's episode. It really means a lot to me. I really, really hope that you learned something today. And please, 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 if you're in need of resources or support right now, text HELLO to 741-741. Um, That's a crisis text line that's 24-7 and run by trained counselors that are great. You can also call, if you prefer to talk to someone, the Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. There are going to be more links and resources in the description as well. Please check them out. And I love you. On to the show. (laughs) Thank God I have my oat milk now. I know, it was nice that both of us just took a second to make our respected caffeine drinks. When I was bringing the stuff inside, like this giant, uh, this thing, Mm -hmm. a mic stand, uh, I am, for context, I am recording in the middle of nowhere right now. Aaron and I are in an undisclosed, small desert California, middle of nowhere (laughs) town for a fancy crisis prevention intervention training. I was carrying this inside the hotel and it's so big. I have to like carry it on my own. I was like, I wonder if people think this is like a, like a camera stand and we're going to go make a sex tape or something cute. I was like, no, I'm just recording a podcast. Cute. (laughs) You're the only person that describes it that way. Maybe they think something cute, something cute (laughs) to show our kids. You would. You would, like, in 10 years, be like, okay, kids, mommy and daddy made this. Positive sex boundaries. <laughs> this is how you were made in this hotel room. Hi, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Big 180 after last week. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're getting there. Do you, you, even in your voice, you sound a little bit more grounded. 
You sound a little more mm. awake, a little more grounded. Like you have a little more energy in your voice than the last few times I talked to you. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Meadow and I are only recording once this week. I had a little bit of a family crisis yep. last week and everyone's okay. It was just very stressful mm-hmm. and it was just a lot of shit piled up on top of each other. Oh, yeah. So it was a lot. I have a stress-induced period Aww. right now. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> Which, like, female bodies, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, the fact that, like, if I'm too stressed out, I can change my cycle is alarming. Oh, no. Oh, wait, you froze. You're back. Shit. Yeah, you're back. I can hear you now. I can hear you now. Can you hear me? Oh, now I can. Okay. Can you see me? Yeah. Oh, I just got the p- <laughs> <laughs> Gabby just sent me the ugliest frozen picture of myself. I look like a lemur. Look at how big my eyes are. <laughs> Deer in headlights. You know what it is about my eyes that I realized recently? It's like, why do I always look like that? It's because when my eyes are open wide, you can see like the, bu- you know how usually you can, you don't see the full circle of your iris? Uh-huh. On mine, you do. Like you could see the white below my iris when my eyes are open really big. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh i wonder if like same we both have pretty big eyes we do both have pretty big lemur eyes oh good for us okay anyways okay let's just jump right in okay do you want to talk more okay, so about how you were unpacking your when it rains it pours oh that's a really good way to put it yes it basically last week was the biggest shit show mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just a lot of stuff it was a week of a hell of a lot of physical anxiety yeah. attacks. Um, things that I have not experienced in a very, very, very long time where I like would wake up shaking and just be shaking throughout the day, like very anxious. Like picture the best way I could describe it to someone who like doesn't know what I'm talking about is like think about like the moment in your life that you're the most like nervous or anxious. Like mm. if you're let's say you're like applying to college, if that's your jam, right? And like you're about to get in, you know you're going to get the acceptance or or decline letter like or rejection letter, that's the word for it, not decline letter. <laughs> <laughs> you know you're going to get the letter within like the next hour and so that whole hour you're just like shaking and super nervous yeah. or like what just take the moment that you're the most nervous and stressed yeah. and like that feeling the pit in your stomach that was me for a week and the just literal day in, shakes day out like the physical and the literal shaking like physical my shaking. hand I would put my hand out to look at it and it would just be shaking like to the point that I was supposed to see my niece one day and she's 14 and I was like there's no way I'm driving yeah. her around yeah. today like I'm not getting in a car yeah um so last week was just like a lot <laughs> and then it's a really I hard decided to yeah, yeah it was just a lot and then like I decided to break up with my therapist, which was like... How'd it go? You didn't tell you know, me how... Did you send the email or how'd you do it? Yeah. You know, I sent an email. Meadow guided me through mm-hmm. what to say. And she was very sweet. I mean, what's she going to say? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know? yeah. She was like very supportive and was like, you know, if you need me in the future, like I'm here, you're doing great work, blah, blah, blah. Aww, um, And it was just, you know, it got to the point that like, I feel like it just... she's perfectly lovely and really smart and a great therapist i just don't think it was the right fit for me yeah. i think i had done like f- six sessions with her and i think this past week was sort of the nail in the coffin yeah. for me yeah. because i knew that i want i was hesitating whether or not i wanted to stay with her but then this past week after it just being so rough and 
honestly guiding myself to better conclusions. Yeah. It was just like, okay, I think I think I need something else. I think I need, you know, which is also a testament to like the fact that I can hear myself clearly, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Like I know mm-hmm. what type of therapy might be better for me. And you knew it from the start, remember? You even asked me. You yeah. had two sessions yeah. and you were like, how do you know if a therapist is the right fit for you? And I was like, well, mm-hmm. the fact that you're asking that question and you have that gut feeling is a pretty good indicator. Granted, yeah. you know, it's your first time in a while. Try it out. But like, be really honest with yourself. You might need different things. And, you know, you gave it the good Girl Scout try. You gave mm-hmm. it the successions. And so it's so yeah. true. Because like, if I had your week and I was in a situation where I was like, every single thing went wrong in one week, like I'm in a heightened crisis, I... I would feel so good about going to my therapist because I know I have a safe space where I'm going to feel supported and get some help right now. Yeah. And that's, I don't know. that's I mean, what you should feel towards them. Exactly. Not and like, like it's oh, not I journaled I, and I did a better job than this. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not to say that like she's not a good therapist. No, like, it's just is. for your style and who you are. But it was just for, yeah, for yeah. my style, it was like I just was getting to the point that I was coming to better conclusions on my own. Exactly. Like through journaling. And, you know, that's not what I'm paying someone. Right. For. So and people, I'm there's so to... many different techniques out there. Like That's it, it really thing. is. Like, there's so many different ways to try and things that might work for you. So yeah, it's just, it's like, to be honest, it's obviously discouraging because, you know, I just spent like two months fucking explaining yep. my life to someone and now I have to completely redo that mm-hmm. so that's obviously the part that like was holding me back so I just want to like encourage people listening that if you're going through something similar or you're hesitant to start therapy for that exact reason just go into it understanding that it's going to be like dating you might yeah. not find the right fit immediately and that's okay but at the end of the day like it's it's to support and help oh you know what you that just made me think of something so cool you sit comparing it to dating just made me think in the same way that when you date someone you don't trauma dump maybe the next therapist Mm. you see you don't have to start from ground zero you could be like hey so last week this this and this happened this is what I'm unpacking right now and then throughout those sessions if they ask you about your history you slowly start to explain but maybe next time you don't start from the beginning maybe next time you start at where you're at right now and see how they prompt you so you're not redoing the same story over and over and over wait that's a really good tip I'm going to do that. Right. You just, you were the one that kind of gave me that. I was like, oh, duh, that's how you could do it. That's actually really smart because then that way you're not feeling like you're just repeating the same shit. Repeating your trauma over and over and over again. Yeah. Interesting. Like go to the next one and tell them about your last week and how you felt and the Mm -hmm. conclusion you came to and just start by unpacking that and see where the conversation leads. Yeah. That's a good tip. I mean, and you were very helpful during oh, that good. week i don't think i would have been able to get through it the way that i did oh good oh anytime really baby i me. felt honored that i was the one you called oh yeah i fucking needed yeah. your voice Aww. of reason i'm glad and and great. the facetious humor you and i thank god we did i mean we knew that about ourselves but it was really funny to have an in the moment crisis and also realize that your family style of humor and my family style of humor is the exact it's same so fucked up and it's yeah. so fucked up but it also it really can help you get through those moments sometimes too. Yeah, our families have really dark humor. Yeah, about themselves. Yeah. <laughs> yes, about themselves. About themselves. About our so, own crises. <laughs> exactly. So, like, it was definitely comforting to be like, listen to what the fuck they're just saying. Happened. Yeah, and they're saying. Yeah. Oh my goodness, how are you? What What are you uh, doing? What are you unpacking? I'm good. I am 
trying not to be a total asshole, but I am fully David in Shit's Creek right now. Like I am <laughs> in, I am in a. Oh, Meadow answers the call. She's like, you don't even know where <laughs> I am right now. <laughs> I was like, I'm trying not to be a total brat, but I am, I am in a rough, rough area of middle of nowhere, California. Don't shower barefoot. Oh, I already did. <laughs> when I was little, my Damn mom, it. even if we were, even if we were at the Ritz, my mom would make my sister and I wear flip flops in the shower. That's so <laughs> even at the Ritz. Jesus Christ, mom. Oh, that's so funny. But you know what? I, I actually thought of a good thing that I'm unpacking because I've been coming out here makes me think about the last time I was in a place that felt this middle of nowhere was where Aaron's from in the middle of nowhere, mm-hmm. Alabama. And and that's significantly more middle of nowhere than where I'm at right now. So, you know, it's, okay. there's a scale here. However, it made me I'm kind of unpacking my privilege right now because it made me think about resource deserts and like the same way we talk about. F- mm. So in the same way we talk about food deserts. Aaron and I were, when we were visiting his home in middle of nowhere, Alabama, we would talk about how if I had mental health issues out here, there, there's no NAMI, there's no like normal local NAMI chapter, there's no information, there's these conversations aren't really being had by people out here. Like if you're just not around that, I feel like if you were discovering mental health stuff through us or through social media or hearing about this for the first time and you've never seen it modeled in real life or never heard it in real life, how much more elusive and daunting that is and and yeah. how much harder that is to work through. So yeah, I think also because I just watched Mayor of Easttown. And so I'm like, I'm really small town in a small town zone right now. Okay. And it just made me think like, one, I'm very lucky to have come from a family and area where I have access to resources. And two, it makes me think about us and how we package information and even like what we're going to share today. I want to be mm. really mindful of what if someone's listening and they live here in this town in the middle of nowhere and I have no access to reason? Like, how can I make things be not so surface level, but still be approachable to people that have never heard these concepts before and want to learn more? Well, you that's, I, mean? I think the whole point of these conversations and of what you and I are trying to do is, you know, there's so many times where we can like gloss over topics because we're like, oh, they know what we're talking about. Right. But I think we need to approach everything like they have no idea what we're talking yeah. about because sometimes one person might not and it might be that one person that we're trying to reach. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah. how do you do that while still being inclusive to people like us where we feel like we want to up level our self-awareness because we've done the old school work? You know what I mean? There's just a range. Well, it's a combination. It's a range. Yeah. I think it's about, you know, having, you know, not... I don't know how to say this, but like leveling down, I guess, right. the conversation that we're having, but still providing helpful resources, which I think or is something that we're good at, or context yeah. too. You know, we provide the resources at the end of the day. We put them in the in the show notes. You, that's all you do, right? That's with true. your job. That's true. And you know, you're you're providing that. So if someone is ever confused or wants to learn more, right? They and- have the tools tools. to do it and honestly that's basically what this episode is gonna be so today on this episode Mm -hmm. we're gonna unpack my suicide survivor story and give a lot of tools and technique and resources in research behind suicide prevention and awareness and even that what you said of suicide survivor i used to have the i had the incorrect assumption everyone does i think it's a bad term quite frankly yeah, that suicide survivor means that you personally attempted right. suicide and survived. But no, it means you are a survivor, right. someone in your family or your loved like one. Like, you know, the term survivor's guilt. 
Mm. So suicide survivor, survivor. It's the one, it's the people that are left behind, the loved ones that are left behind as a result of someone else dying by suicide. But I do think okay. I, the term is, feels so counterintuitive. It does feel a little counterintuitive. Yeah. And and quick, quick trigger warning for anyone. This entire episode is going to oh, be talking about suicide. We'll, we'll put a disclaimer at the beginning as well, but... This whole episode is about suicide. I have a lot of specialty research that I've conducted specifically in this area. Talk about that. Okay. Talk so about that. I want people to know. Beyond my brother dying by suicide when I was a freshman in high school, we will go into my story. Um, by one of my very first mental health jobs ever, that counseling job that I worked at at UCSB, I was mm-hmm. part of week had this campaign called hashtag say something and we conducted suicide prevention research campaign where we went around to different organizations on campus and taught them these tools and resources and then like rated the effectiveness at baseline and afterwards and people's levels of understanding we presented at a statewide conference on it i've then sat on a suicide prevention council in san diego i have specific qpr suicide prevention training i like all of my specialty areas have been surrounded by suicide prevention and awareness so beyond having that personal experience, I feel extremely well-versed in this subject. Mm-hmm. I want that to be extremely clear to people yeah. because in, in today's episode, like it was 100% clear that I am asking Meadow questions yeah. and I want to learn from Meadow and Meadow is the one that is here to actually tell us what the fuck is up. And all of that being said, even though I feel so like I could... St- talk about this on the back of my hand because this is what I'm so passionate about there's still so much more research and so much more nuance to be discussed and to be done because as we know with the stigma this stuff is hard to get money to support it's hard to have people understand it's hard to get research paid for so even though there is a lot out there and I feel like I've done my due diligence to know a lot of what's happening there's still so much more to discover Mm mm-hmm 100% 100% there's so much misinformation which is something that I want to talk about yeah me too uh, later in the episode but first walk us through you know your personal story with it and what led you to want to do the work that you do today did your family's mm-hmm. impact mm-hmm. did your family have an impact on that so my family is riddled with mental health issues that's what I like to say I know it's facetious but they are um I did not know that my older brother had bipolar disorder, undiagnosed bipolar disorder. So, okay. So, oh God, here's a lot of background. I have, my dad was married to his first wife, which is not my mom. They had Sean. Also, why Meadow and I literally are the twins same. because we have the exact same, I mean, without different traumas, but same yeah. like family tree situation. Like of, old ass dads with yeah. half siblings and yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Half siblings that are like 20 years old. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So th- my dad had Sean and Brendan, two boys with his first wife. Sean died when he was four in a car accident. I discovered when I was in sixth grade, it was like the only time I ever saw my dad cry when I like found out about it. Then they couldn't have another kid and they wanted Brendan to have a sibling. So they adopted my sister, Amy. So I have two half siblings. One is adopted. So she's black. So everyone gets really confused and adoption is a thing. I don't know why this is still so hard to comprehend. Um, But they're both. So Amy's 25 years older than me. Brendan was must have been 27, 28 years older than me. Wow. And then by the time Brendan and Amy were teenagers, my dad and Dina got divorced. My dad met my mom and then later had me and my little brother is two years younger than me. So I had the older siblings and the younger siblings. Casey, my younger sibling, had mental health challenges his entire life. 
And so by the time I was a freshman in high school and my parents called my brother and I down to the living room to tell us that my older brother Brendan had died, they decided as a family unbeknownst to me to not tell us it was by suicide because my little brother was already having such severe mental health issues. I think if I'm a freshman in high school, my little brother is in seventh grade, like just entering middle school. Mm -hmm. Um, And he was already having such severe mental health issues. They felt, this is where the myths come in, they felt that if they told us that that was Brendan's solution, that my brother would do the same thing. Okay, hold on to that because I want to talk about that later. Yeah, we will. I want to unpack that later. So I'm a freshman. I get told my older brother has died by an accident, on accident. By Is it by or on accident? I always get it confused and my mom always gets mad at me. I, I never say on accident. It's by accident. I feel like that's in, on accident yeah. is incorrect. Yeah, by accident. Okay. Yeah. So they tell us he dies by accident. I, at this point, I had grown up seeing my older brother, and he's always the chaotic, fun older brother. But at the point in which he died, he had moved to Australia, and I hadn't seen him for like five years. So I. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I obviously was close to hit closer to him when I was little he was always around and then had left for five years and I kind of he like stopped by one time and I remember there was one time we went on vacation and we came home and our window was broken and like turns out Brendan had wanted to come over but we weren't there so he tried to break in through the kitchen window there's all these little signs that at the time I just didn't understand looking back his undiagnosed bipolar disorder makes a lot sense like one of the most visceral memories I have with my brother is him biking down our long ass driveway and he had me on his shoulders I'm like four five and I fell he like skidded I fell I like flew off it was like the most hurt I had ever been there's just little things that he was so fun but so reckless and when you're little I'm just like oh it's my fun older brother we're gonna do like really cool things but looking back I was like oh these are manic episodes so there's signs looking back anyway okay so that's what happens I go through the grieving process. We have a funeral. My dad is like all of a sudden religious and like reading from the Bible at his funeral, which was bizarre because I was not raised Always religious. Happens. At, right? Always happens. Then the following year, it's been a year and a half. I go visit my older sister. She's living in Oregon or she's living in Washington at the time. I go to visit my older sister. At one point, she has to go to work. I'm like, no worries. I'll hang out at your house, go on a walk, whatever. I'm hanging out at her house and she has this journal on her coffee table. So I'm like having coffee. I'm looking through her journal because it's art and beautiful poetry and this and that. I thought you were like reading her journal. No, well, okay. Like so it is an actual journal too. I didn't realize. I'm looking Ooh. at like thinking it's sketches and poems. I'm looking through it. Don't realize it's also like a real journal where she writes in. And I read an entire story about how our older brother died by suicide. How old are you at this point? 15. Fuck. And I freak out. I'm not kidding. I've never gotten in a fight with my sister. And I called her from work screaming at her. Like my Mm. gut reaction was anger. I was like, everyone has been lying to me. This is my fucking brother. All of you have been in this together. Even my sister knew. And you all kept this from me. Like my, I was, it was probably the most angry I've ever been in my life. And I'm not, I don't get angry. My gut reaction is always like right. anxiety, nervousness, and sadness. Like I'm sad girl all the way. So. Well, you felt tricked. I felt too. tricked. I felt bamboozled. I felt like, what else are they lying about? Like it, I, it just immediately made me not trust my family. It was could just complete anger. 
And I slowly had to rationalize with that. And I don't even think I really forgived my parents for that until starting to do all this work and learning about the facts and the myths of suicide prevention. Because Mm -hmm. at the time that he died, Brendan died, it was 2009. There was no conversation about mental health or resources or suicide in 2009. Yeah, if anything, it was like deeply shameful, which is deeply still shame. This was still at a time where deemed that way. Yeah, this was still at a time that the Catholic Church said if you killed yourself, you're going to hell. Like I remember when the Catholic Church turned that around and said people that die by suicide can now go to heaven. Being a couple years after my brother had died, <laughs> you can now go. Yeah, and being like, okay, so like, does it count for my? Not like I'm religious, but I just it was that's how stigmatized it was at that time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, cl- enough. It doesn't take a psychologist to deduce the fact that every mental health issue in my family and me being the odd one out is why I obviously pursued psychology and decided to understand what my whole life has been about because it was never explained to me. Um, But it leads me to want to say a couple things. I mean, this is, I guess we're going to get into more of the myths and facts portion. So the, the first thing here is the fact that my parents didn't want to tell us because they thought it would plant the seed in Casey's mind. Well, yes, that's something that I want to ask you yeah. about because I remember when you told me the story for the first time and you, that was one of the first things you said to yeah. me. And then, you know, now in pop culture, you know, we have, we're talking about these things so much more mm-hmm. and, you know, shows like Euphoria come out, yep. right? Yep. And yep. everyone has a fucking cow because yep. they're thinking that it's romanticizing addiction and romanticizing mm-hmm. mental health issues and romanticizing suicide. And I, A, want to get your thoughts. Mm-hmm on the show oh, and what you actually okay. think mm-hmm. and and B want to unpack that and say like is that you know you and I have had the conversation privately where like we know it's a myth mm-hmm. that you can't you know the, the planting the seed whole idea mm-hmm. um, which I want you to unpack but I want people to understand it fully fully so two-parter yeah it's also it's so complicated because You can't talk about the planting the seed myth without talking about the very real copycat effect. Okay. And that's where everyone gets confused. So one of the main myths about suicide is that if you think that someone is suicidal and you ask them, are you thinking of killing yourself? You are then giving them the idea to solve their pain in that way. That right there is the myth. So you asking someone, are you suicidal if you're worried about them, is the number one tip I want people to leave with today. If you think, if you're worried about someone in your life, the absolute first and only thing you should know how to do is ask them if they are. That is the most important step. Because one, most of the time, they want people to know. No one wants to die. You know, they they want people to know. And it might be too hard for I mean, everyone's circumstance is so different, but, you know, just thinking about my personal circumstances, I've known more people beyond my brother, unfortunately, that have died by suicide. Most of the time, people want someone else to know. In fact, sometimes people think they're leaving hints, as elusive as they may be. So you asking the person can be a relief because someone else named it first. They didn't have to bring it up. When everything else is already so hard, they're not having to bring that up. And you're giving someone an out. Now, if they say no, fantastic. You were worried about them. They're not considering that. There's other ways that we still go on to figure out how to support you. If they say yes, the very next question should be, do you have a plan? Oh, okay. If someone has a plan in place, you need to immediately call 911. Okay. 
and stay with them until they get help. And we'll go into specific. I want to go into specific and I want to go into specific language too. Okay. So we'll do that after because I want to finish this first question first Mm because otherwise you know how we talk. Um, Right. If they don't have a plan, you have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of like getting them help immediately, but we you should make get them help and we'll consider it. But that right there, you're never planting a seed. Please, if you're worried about someone, ask them directly, do you mean suicide? Are you thinking of killing yourself? Like ask that question, number one most important thing to ask. Now, however, okay. when we're talking about suicide, like notice in my story, I did not mention the means at which my brother died. And to be qu- what's interesting about my story is my parents told us the means, but, but framed it, it as an accident. accident. Got it. M- discussing means and methods is where copycats come in. So a g- the great example of that is Anthony Bourdain. When Anthony Bourdain died, they reported specifically how in detail in his hotel room in Paris. And one mm-hmm. week later, shit, what's her name? The purse designer. What the fuck is her name? The chick that died. Rebecca Minkoff? Nope. Those famous purses. What the what the heck is her name? I'm drawing. Kate Spade. Kate Spade. Thank you so much. Okay. So say it all again. <laughs> okay. So when Anthony Bourdain died by suicide and the news reported directly on all of his means, they um, one week later, Kate Spade died by the same method. So when we talk, when we report on suicide or when we're discussing it ourselves, when you say means and methods, that can give people who have have suicide ideation, which means they've been ruminating about it in their head as an option for them, but they've never taken it seriously. When they hear someone else's means, that can give them the idea, oh, do I have the resources or the tools to to seek out those same methods? And that and can also start can giving someone seed. a plan. Right. And that can also give them the idea of, okay, if this it, one, it worked. Yep. Because that's a whole other But worked, too. see, worked is so, it's hard for me to say because so... Keep, keep, finish your thought first finish your thought first. well no but that that's that doesn't mean I, like that is a fucked up language well so here's the thing so we used to say commit suicide right that's what people still say right. today in the mental health world we try to stay away from that because you're not committing a crime anymore like su- suicide used to be a crime if you had a suicide attempt you could be charged for it it's not a crime anymore like you're not when did the, do you know when that ended oh recently I, within the last 10 years easily Mm. I believe. So then, okay, so help me. So now we say die by died by suicide. I liked, so then there was an iteration of time when I was in mental health that we said completed. But then the words like it worked like or successful like, or completed sounds like that was the right positive. outcome that you wanted. So exactly. what do I, how would I rephrase that? Die by of, suicide. It's like, No, but so, oh, so me trying to, the sentence that I said of it worked. Mm-hmm. How, what is a way that I could rephrase that? Of saying that if someone saw, for example, you know, when they explained to Anthony Bourdain mm-hmm. and how he passed, and it gave someone the idea to do the same, not gave them the idea to to die by suicide and to kill themselves, but the because method. they already, like we said, but the method. Right. What I was trying to say was it might spark it because they think, okay, well, it's definitely going to kill me is that a better way of me saying that it's definitely going to kill me then it's definitely going to work right yeah that that works absolutely yeah thank you of course um so that's so that's where the issue gets conflated and it gets tricky so if you're worried about someone you have to ask them the question that's the first step that any suicide prevention will teach you but always avoid means and methods because that's where the copycat effect which is very real comes into play Okay, so what are, when you're saying, okay, so let's talk about like when we're actually 
worried about someone okay. because there are so many <sighs> yeah. warning signs. Yeah. And that's another myth is people think that suicide happens out of nowhere. And I, I totally understand that seemingly it does. Like so much of the time, which is so heartbreaking about suicide is everyone left is was bamboozled or bombarded or right. oh if I would have known or I should have asked more questions and then they place blame on themselves because they didn't know people will leave warning signs to them it will feel obvious to someone else they may be small things that you're just not we're, we haven't been trained to look at this which is why we need to have which these is, conversations and have more training exactly so here are some warning signs that are pretty typical the very first thing I would look for is an extreme shift in mood energy or behavior and this is where it gets tricky because sometimes that even looks like someone getting better. So if someone's been depressed. Really? Exactly. So if someone's been depressed for a very, very long time and is like staying in their house and not going anywhere and hasn't been doing anything. Oh, hi. Aaron just walked in. Hi, baby. Hi, Aaron. Gabby says hi. Um, I'll ask you about your training in a bit. I'm in the middle of recording. Um, so if someone is has been depressed for a very long time and all of a sudden – they're way happier. They're coming out. They're seeing you again. Like there's an extreme shift right away. That could be an indicator that I have a plan. My pain will like, end I know it's going to get better. Uh -huh. I know it's going to end soon. So you're coming out to tie up those loose ends. So even someone getting better Got out it. of nowhere can absolutely be a warning sign. The other way this gets confusing is like if... You know, I think a lot of the times people think like, oh, they were never like a big drug user or drinker. And now all of a sudden they're drinking a lot. That's a warning sign. The opposite could be true, too. Like if someone likes to go out all the time and likes to party and gets dressed up and like wants to go be hot girl summer. And all of a sudden they're a recluse and their hair is never brushed and they don't have on their BB cream today. Not like you have to have those things. But if it's an extreme mm -hmm. shift for them, that's a warning sign. Okay. 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 So any extreme shift. Any extreme shift in like mood, energy, or behavior. Another big one is tying up loose ends or giving things away. So like an example of that would be like if you saw someone and they gave you their favorite watch and was like, oh, you know, I just wanted to give this to you as a little gift to remind, you know, like people can tie right. up bank statements. They can like leave money to people. They can say goodbye. Like there, unfortunately, I've known of a few stories where, um, people will have parties or like not parties or get togethers to say their goodbyes mm. out of nowhere. So like those, that kind of tying up of loose ends. Um, another one, which is obviously more overt, which is harder to understand. But another one would be like when people drop hints, like, Oh, I just wish I wasn't here or I wish I could just end it. Or I wish there's right. an easy way out. Like those things are obviously a little bit more obvious but just being really mindful of those kind of subtle languages, even if even if someone's being facetious or joking, if they are cool, then what you ask and the worst they say is, no, I'm not suicidal. Like just always double clarifying and always double checking now that we know right. that you can't plant that seed. The absolute best thing to do is just ask that damn question. Because the best case scenario is they say no. Right, right. Okay. You know? Mm -hmm. So those are those are kind of like the main warning signs that I would say okay, you so, look out for. So the extreme shift. Which are very helpful. The tying up loose ends, you know, giving away possessions, maybe going out, coming in, extreme happiness, extreme sadness, those social withdrawal, increase or decrease of alcohol and drugs, and then maybe those kind of statements, those hints or statements mm -hmm. that people can make. Okay. So 
let's say we're we're in a situation because I know that you gave us the main first two steps of if you are afraid that a friend or a loved one is going to kill themselves. We said, ask the question, mm-hmm. wait on the answer. They say yes, you immediately call 911. Yeah, so well... Well, if they say, you say, they, do they have a plan? Yeah, I mean, so I, I feel reserved if someone says, yes, they're suicidal, but no, they don't have a plan, still not calling 911. I mean, it, it depends so on that's who the you're thing, talking is What to. do you do? How do you deescalate the situation, especially if they're, first of all, if you're not in person with them? Oh, that's hard. And also, okay. if you are genuinely worried for their safety, but they're angry, you're scared that they're going to hate you, you're scared you're right, going right, to lose right, them right. as a friend, if, you know, if, if they, you know, they don't follow through with what they're saying yeah. they're going to do and then you're going to lose them because they're angry that you called 911 like how do you de-escalate that whole situation first of all when someone is when you're scared that someone's going to be mad at you or not be your friend one it's a very real fear and two do it the fuck anyway because there's been so many exactly. times that my brother for example has needed interference and sure he's super angry in the moment but later when they get help, maybe they come back and are understanding that you were thinking the best for them. Maybe they don't. But you took a place to really be an active bystander and help in trying to make someone that's in save such a horrible. Life. Yeah, to save someone's life. So do it anyway. Because it, it, at the end of the day, it's you being a good friend. Okay. So, so how do you how do you de-escalate when you're not in person? Right. So here's – we're going to have – my love of my life little sister very good friend who also worked at NAMI with me she's also trained in QPR we're gonna have her on and we'll talk more in depth about QPR but I just want to go over the basics of it quickly QPR is like CPR for the mind QPR is how you remember Mm -hmm. the three things to do when someone is suicidal so it stands for question persuade and refer and those are the steps in which you take your action. So QPR, Q, question. Very first thing, ask the question. Are you suicidal? You're not planting the seed. It should be the first thing you do. If they are, you then immediately ask that follow-up question, do you have a plan? If someone has a plan in place, immediately call 911 and specifically ask for a PERT, P-E-R-T, PERT officer. PERT stands for the Psychiatric Emergency Response Team, and those are police officers that have been trained in mental health crises and de-escalation. In fact, when I worked at NAMI, we would go to like the police graduations and give them those mm-hmm. workshops. So th- oh, they're they're wow. trained by mental health professionals on de-escalating. I mean, depends on where you are in the country. Maybe they're not always Is that helpful. A standard? Is that a standard for cops everywhere? Yeah, it should be. Let me double check with Aaron. Aaron, are there perk cops everywhere in the country? Aaron's going to find out. So we're going to be on standby for a second. I believe there should be. Um, But ask for a perk officer because if you just show up with police, they might not always know what to do. So if there's one available, it's going to be a better situation. Okay. If they're not, if they don't have a plan, but they've had suicide ideation... You have a little bit more wiggle room depending on how close you are with this person. So like, let's say it's like a friend or even a friend of a friend. I would move on to the next two steps, the P and the R. P stands for persuade. Persuade means even if you can't persuade them to not die by suicide, like that's not necessarily the goal in this moment. The goal is to persuade them that 
there are other options and other help that even if they feel like they've exhausted all their resources, you might have some access to a network or resource that they haven't thought of before. So you want to persuade them to stay with you until you both get help. So you persuade them to stay with you in person. If they're in person, persuade to have them stay with you until the cops come. Persuade to have them with you until, you know, you make an appointment at a therapist. If you're not with them in person, I would either be on the phone or persuade them to keep texting you until help arrives. Okay, so I'm glad that we are unpacking the persuade step because that is something that I had a weird misconception about especially when I was reading our notes and I read persuade yeah because in my head the initial reaction is you get let's say you get a phone call right Mm -hmm. your friend is you know in crisis and you're on the phone with them my initial reaction is to persuade why they should be alive Mm -hmm. and to tell them all the great things to tell them we'll miss them to tell them why they're so special xyz thing which in their head at that point may not even matter at all it may not i would argue it's still a beautiful thing to tell someone in the moment and they still may need Mm -hmm. to hear it so i i I think both could exist together i would absolutely be reiterating those messages while you're also persuading them to be in communication with you until you know that they have professional help okay i think okay so what's the next i don't think they're um mutually exclusive thank you the last one is the r which is refer Refer means refer to resources, refer to the professional support. Now, we will give you a list of resources. You don't have to have these memorized. You could persuade with them to stay with you while you meanwhile go look up our show notes, go Google suicide prevention resources. You know, like you can you can find it out Mm -hmm. in real time. You could make a list right now. So if this ever pops up, there's a note on your phone with things of what to do. That's my favorite tip of advice whether it's coping mechanisms suicide prevention anything it's just if you have the info on just like a little note on your phone god forbid it comes up if it does you prepared when you knew what was happening Mm -hmm. um so refer to resources there's a lot of different options here obviously 911 and asking for a pert officer is probably the safest move if you're not really sure what to do or you don't have experiences with this or if someone has a plan the next would be there's a crisis text line and a suicide prevention hotline. So you can talk to someone on the phone. Both are 24-7, seven days a week, 365, trained counselors. Um, I usually like, I mean, I don't know. I think I think talking on the phone can be easier to help de-escalate someone and get more information because right. it's quicker. I do think tons right. of people, especially like younger kids nowadays, have such severe social anxiety that texting actually might feel safer and more comfortable for them. Okay. So, I mean, it's it's personal preference, but either of those two and immediately reaching out for that immediate professional support and and either of those are accessible pretty much anywhere you are, as long as you have a phone. You know what I mean? So, right. the crisis text line, you could just text anything. You could text hello. So, is this you? Is this the friend texting it or is it you're you're providing the resource to your friend who is in crisis? Either. So you, you could text the number and be like, I have a friend that's in crisis right now. What do I do? You can also give the number to said friend in crisis and be like, please reach out to them right now while I'm also talking to you. Okay. Or someone could be listening to this with suicide ideation alone and just be like, okay, these are good numbers I could go to to get some support right now. Mm-hmm. So it's for okay. anyone. The crisis text line is the number is 741741. 
And all these different people have, they always say, you know, text NAMI, text strength, text support. All of that mm-hmm. is just to determine who is referring you to this thing. You could text anything you want, but the number is 741741. That's a little insider okay. tip. If you ever get confused and you mm. see like text hello to 741, text strengths, text this. It's all the same thing. It's just to refer where people are getting their resources from. Oh, it's like an internal noted. thing. So don't let that confuse anyone. And then the suicide prevention hotline that you talk to over the phone, which if you ever forget, you could just look up the logic number because that's the logic has that song with the title and the it's a, the title of the song is the number. Mm-hmm. It's one 800 273 8255. If you're a friend and you're also going through this in real time, um, the local branch of NAMI that I used to work at has an app and it's called Oscar, O S C E R. And it's called that for stigma. So people don't know what you're doing. You're going to be like, oh, I'm texting Oscar. But you can actually go on and it tells you it filters all this information before, during, and after a crisis. And you can go on and you'd click during a crisis. And it would say, is the crisis this, 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 or what's a 501c3? What are hospitals near me? Like, what do I do? What are warning signs? What do I do if someone's suicidal? And it'll give you, it's an app on your phone that'll give you all that information. Obviously, the hospitals and some of those resources are going to be local to San Diego, but most of the information on there is just kind of like general accessible information, so it's nice to have on your phone. Another resource I really like for friends or family members is a website called Find Your Words. It's literally findyourwords.org. I think it's done through Kaiser or some sort of like health insurance thing, and it's one of my favorite resources to give people so they feel... um, like they, they're the most they can be the most eloquent when talking to someone else about mental health depression or crisis so you're not saying the wrong thing quote unquote right okay um and then obviously there's longer term support which we would want to get into later i don't even want to get into that right now because i i want to stay really niche on the moment of crisis yeah, specifically this is deeply helpful as well okay good oh my gosh i'm so glad so that's that's all this different there's more resources and obviously there's going to be local ones but those are some easy accessible all across the u.s and these will all be in our show notes these will all be in our show notes also if you googled suicide prevention resources all of these would pop up so if you're in a pinch and you just need the google that like this will still work the google the google this will still work so just to recap real quick qpr cpr for your Mm -hmm. mind q ask the question you're not planting the seed P, persuade, tell them that life is worth living and that you want them to be alive and persuade them to get help and that to stay with you for a little bit till you get help. And then R, refer, 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 refer. It's not your job to solve this problem. You don't have to have any of the answers. You can use Google. All you have to do is stay with the person and get them, help them to get the help. Okay, so what is something that you would want to say to suicide survivors who have done these things that we have talked about Mm -hmm. and the loved one still dies by suicide i mean that's happened to me before too um i think getting really i think if you've done personal development work and you're always working on yourself when that comes up any feeling of guilt is natural but easily becomes dissipated because you know what's in your control and what's out of your control and the more you're working on yourself the more self-confidence you feel with that because there's always some level where like 
we're all our own person. We all make our own decisions. There's only so much you could do. In the same way we tell people, like, you could drag someone kicking and screaming to a counselor to go get help. And if they're if they don't want to be there, they're not going to get it. Like there's there's a right. level of efficacy that you have to understand. The only thing truly in your control are your thoughts, behaviors, emotions, energy, actions. And mm-hmm. so I think if you're doing work on yourself to help you feel that way, that helps dissipate the pain of that later. I would okay. also say, please get yourself support too. Even at, like mm-hmm. I, fe- I feel like I spent that's what defined my childhood. I spent so much of my life being the one that was okay. The one without the mental health issues, the one that didn't die by She's suicide. doing quotes around all of this. You know, yeah. and, and the truth is, is like, I'm the bystander of all of this. I'm, I'm affected too. And I have my own story within that narrative. And so I Absolutely. think you have to make sure that you're taken care of as well, because it, it will impact you. And it will. Another thing that we talked about recently, too, is if you're reminded of someone's death, my psychology uh, my first like psychologist boss in college taught me this you whether you're conscious of it or not will reprocess all the grieving you've ever gone through so like if we when I heard about Anthony Bourdain dying obviously mm-hmm. sub- subconsciously I'm immediately thinking about my older brother dying by suicide I'm thinking about how my dad died then my grandma died then you know the school shooting I was in like you will reprocess all of the grieving you've done previously whether or not you are actively in your conscious consciously thinking of it mm-hmm. so chemically you will be going through things like please reach out to your support network even if you don't want to see a therapist or you don't have one at least talk to one friend if you have one relationship one friend one family member one counselor that you feel like you can go and talk to and not be judged and have a safe space talk to one person and now on the flip side of that if we have any listeners or someone is you know listening to this one episode and they are thinking about suicide what is one thing that you would want to tell them i think one you are not alone i think suicide feels so isolating and i think people can get so wrapped up in their thoughts and their challenges and feel like this is a solution that will help them when in fact like if you you may feel like you've exhausted other options and i think if you can even talk to one other person or branch out or be open to trying one other thing. There are more options than this. Everyone inherently is worth being here. I don't care what fuck up you made. I don't care what mistakes you make. Like, I don't care if you've been canceled on the internet. Like, I don't like everyone is inherently worth being here. And there's always you can decide right now, literally this second, this moment listening to us, you can decide that's it. I'm done with every other way I've been living life for 37 years. And here I am in this moment. This is my defining moment. My life is different from the rest of today. No one can take away that choice from you. That's all you. You have the power in the world to do that. Like there's always other options for you. And there's always other people that want you to be here and want you to get help. Even if no one around you is saying that right now. There's other communities that you haven't discovered yet. There's other Instagram accounts. There's other podcasts. There's other people that want you to be here that value you and that could maybe come up with a solution that's helpful for you that even if you feel like you've tried everything, there's got to be some other idea out there, right. you know? So it, it just, I want people to know they're not alone. I want people to know there's other options and I want people to know that no matter what situation you're in, no matter how much trauma or abuse you've been through, you neuroplasticity is real you can rebuild your neuro wiring your brain structure for yourself and like no one has the ability to take that away from you and it's I don't know it gets so complicated to talk about because I know even in my own friend circles people that have been in situations that are are out of their control 
And, you know, you can be in an abusive relationship when you're a child or somewhere young where you don't have the means or efforts to get away from there. But you do have control over your mind and how how you can help yourself. And I, I just I it's so much more accessible than your mind will tell you it is. Does that make any sense? Right. Like, I, th- I yeah. think no, it does. people get so wrapped up in their egos and those thoughts and feelings and really taking that realization that you are not your thoughts, you are the listener to your thoughts. And even taking that one little bit of a step back should show you that like whatever stories or narratives your brain is making up right now don't have to be real. And you absolutely have the power to change that. Is that, that was beautiful. Is it? Is that well said? I know it's kind of, I've, yes. I'm so, and, and even if I've talked about this my whole life, it's hard for me, obviously, to not get emotional talking about this. So I know right. when I feel right. heated no, about look, something, as, I hope as, it still makes sense. Yes. As someone who, A, talks in circles the way that we both do, yeah. and B, like has never, you know, we've had conversations around this, but we haven't had a conversation like this. It This was very helpful. Oh, good. I feel like I really, really? learned a lot. I feel like it was very you explained everything very clearly and very succinctly and simply. You know, nothing oh, I'm was. So glad. Nothing, no concept was out of my reach. You Good. know, Good. especially as someone who's not trained in this whatsoever. Um, before we end this very helpful episode, which thank you for not only telling us all these tips and gracing us with your knowledge, but also taking up. You know, you giving us your energy and telling us your story and being vulnerable with us today. Oh, thank you. I love you. You're an inspiration to us everywhere. Ah, I love you so much. Thank you for giving me the space to do it. Um, literally any day of the week. <laughs> let's let's answer an audience okay. question. I got a good one. Okay, let's hear I it. did get a good one from someone that knows me personally and knows a little bit about my story, but because we shared about it, I thought it was interesting. Um, she asked me, obviously the first time I found out my brother died, it was under the impression that it was an accident and I went through that mm-hmm. grieving process. So when I found out the truth of how he died, what was that secondary grieving process like? And that mm, what was so interesting great because question. that first one, like I remember being sad and really like introspective. I wanted to take the time to myself. It was a sensitive thing I already obviously hadn't seen him in a while I was kind of unpacking what those mental health issues that I didn't know looked like could like could that contribute to this being an accident did he not know you know I was kind of more more introspective more ruminating and just more sad um and I was a little I was pretty easily triggered by things that had to do with his circumstances to leave right. it very vague that second time around like I said it was fucking fire and anger and seeing red it was like i Mm. skipped i went straight to just mad anger and it's so unlike me and and i want to say i okay so i fought with my sister that day by the end of the day she had calmed me down a little bit i was still furious with my parents for a long time and i think slowly you know it's hard to remember because i also do have so much trauma in high school that my memories are not the best. Um, right. But I just remember being like consumed with anger and then slowly over time being like, that's it. I'm going to learn everything I can about it. Like that's so my personality is like if something when my school shooting happened, I was the girl that like I watched every single manifesto he posted on YouTube. Like for me, for some reason, I'm that like, oh, I don't want to say masochistic and stigmatized BDSM, but I I, I have that like 
the more I see and the more I know, it helps me to fully have a big picture and comprehend. And that helps me work through my emotions with it better. Well, you're like that with everything in your exactly. life. Exactly. Literally yeah. on a lighter spe- side of the spectrum. Like last week, Matt and I were sharing like birthing videos. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Neither yeah. of us are trying to have children anytime <laughs> soon. But like we want to know exactly what will happen to oh, our fucking I- vagina. And I want to know like all the ways it can go wrong. That one hand, the kid yeah. that stuck the hand at her vagina and was like trying to give a high five from the inner dimension. You know, like I, I am the type <laughs> like of person. Like a fucking portal. Literally <laughs> like a portal. I am the person that like it is helpful for my emotions and my processing to know the full picture from the fact right. side of things too. So I think that just immediately helped me dive into my own mental health journey, learning about it. But you know, what's interesting. I still didn't go to therapy. After all that happened, I didn't go to therapy till after my dad died. So and that my dad you- died three years later. You went when it was the right time for you. I know. That was my freshman year of high school. My brother died. My dad and grandma died and my brother got sent away the summer going into my senior year. Like I, I my high school is just. Whew, You're a warrior. Trauma. <laughs> warrior champion. Queen. Thank you. Meadow, thank you so much for walking us through this. I'm um, so glad you feel like you learned something too. Because I feel like it's. I really, I know. I really, really learned oh, a lot. I'm so glad. Thank you for answering all my questions, for giving us your energy. Thank you for holding your space for listening. With me. Yeah. Thank you guys for listening. Um, all of our resources will be down below. Yep. And I'm going to record a little intro probably personally before at the beginning of this episode that tells us more resources and information, all that jazz. Are you frozen? Oh, no. No, but I'm reading this thing that says came up under your thing. It says this user's browser is limiting the storage available to Riverside. This could stop the user's recording unexpectedly. Make sure. Oh, the user. Oh shit. Okay, I should is go. Is not then. in incognito mode. I'm definitely not in incognito mode. Okay, well then let's just let's end it. <laughs> Good yeah, place let's end. end it. Okay, can you, you you end it? Okay. Wait, do I hang up? Well, no, just you like end the episode. End the episode. Oh, okay. So. Thank you, everyone, for holding this space. I know I, I know that I got into a lot of personal and emotional stuff, but I hope also that this was educational and accessible enough for other people to not feel scared to listen to. I think it's still such a scary topic, and one of the things that I really want to do in my mental health work is make this less scary because when you make something less scary, you empower people to learn about it and have these tools and resources in the back of their hand. So... Thank you for everyone that just took the emotional energy to listen to this today. And if it brought up something for you, please, please, please go call a friend, go call a therapist, spend the rest of the day doing something for yourself, even if that's, you know, one lap around the neighborhood, listening to your favorite music, because I know this can be a lot. So take the rest of the day for yourself. And if you have any questions, I also, oh, you know, another one of the resources, I also have my entire story and a lot of this information spelled out on the local optimist blog. So if you go on the Mad Happy blog, The Local Optimist, it's an old story. So my tip is scroll down to the bottom, go to our search bar and type in the word suicide. And my suicide survivor story is the title. It'll pop up and we have a suicide prevention toolkit. Both of those have a lot of this, if not all of this information in there with links to resources. Very helpful. Please also check that out. I love you. I love you. Okay, see you later. Thank you for listening. Bye.